Chicago. This is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all upper fire panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary from Charles Lipson from the University of Chicago, Mike Miller from DePaul University, and Jennifer Nevins, a pro-Trumper from the get-go. Our program tonight coming to, you, coming to you from the Museum of Broadcast Communications, the Paul and Angel Harvey Radio Studio. Nice to have you with us. Phone lines open, 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289. If you'd like to email me a comment, it's beyondthebeltway2019 at gmail.com. If you want to tweet me a comment, it's at Dumo at D-U-M-O. And, of course, you can join us live at beyondthebeltway.com and on Facebook Live and also on YouTube. We've got a lot of listeners every Sunday night or even during the week uh, because once you know once it goes up on YouTube, it's there like forever. It's like going on our website. So it's nice to have you with us, the variety of ways you can see and hear this program each and every Sunday night. And if you miss this also, we're... You know, in Chicago, we're on WYND Radio on Sunday nights. Uh, that You can hear the replay and also Spotify. So there's really no excuse not to hear and see what we do here every Sunday night. And it is nice to have you with us. <clears throat> I should mention something right at the top of the program. Uh, you may have heard or you may have read on my Facebook page uh, the passing of a, of a dear member of the Beyond the Beltway family. And we're going to talk more about him a little bit later on. But Michael Bauer who's been a guest here for several years. A couple of months ago, he talked about his battle against cancer. Again, we'll hear, uh, we'll hear some of, the, some of the, the words of wisdom uh, from Michael Bauer a little bit later on in this hour of our program. But again, I, he would be remiss if he didn't want to jump into the big stories of the week. And so I'm going to begin with you, with Mike Miller, uh, a good friend of, of, of Mike Bauer's. And my question to you, uh, Mike, is uh, uh, how big was the... Um, was the story about Comey and the Inspector General, and are you surprised uh, that the the national media has not played it up much? I'm not surprised that the national media hasn't played it up because uh, he looks bad. I, yeah, being a, a Republican, he was a Republican. <clears throat> I always had a very good opinion of him from the past, and he just comes off as such a fool, and, and his reaction to it, and his saying that I've been exonerated and I'm owed, owed an apology unbelievable that he would say such a thing. Jennifer Nevins is our original Trumpster, as I said in the opening. Uh, what's your reaction? You know, I think you're looking at a man without shame. We have mm -hmm. quite a few people running around these days that don't seem to have one scintilla of self-awareness or embarrassment or shame about what they do. And I think the biggest takeaway for me, no, the media is not going to give the proper attention to this. So we have to skip ahead and say, is this Leave a the damning... the press didn't even mention it. No, it's a horribly damning report. But that, be that as it may, it's almost as if that doesn't matter because the media isn't going to say it's, it's all about the media. If they're not going to trumpet that it was a damning report... Um, it's left to those of us with intellectual honesty to say that it was a damning report. And uh, it was indicting Comey on the fact that he thought that those personal memos of his were personal, that all of that material, his work product, belonged to him. And it didn't. It was FBI material, and he did pass that along, and that's really the nuts and bolts of it to me. And he thinks he's owed an apology, but and But Bill Barr, the attorney general appointed yeah. by your friend Donald right. Trump, 
uh, he said that there's nothing that he's going to be prosecuted for. So again, you read the report, you can be as riled up as you want, but you know the, the, the piece of flesh that a lot of Trumpsters wanted, I mean, uh, Bill Barr is not going to give it to them. Well, we've got a report in two weeks coming out about the origins of the Russia probe, and I'm not going to be overly optimistic and say that that's what's going to hang Comey, um, but my jury is out until that report's dropped. Okay, Charles Lipson from the University of Chicago, uh, uh, your reaction to the news of last week? Uh, the first thing I thought about the report is that it was extremely damning on the way that Comey ran the FBI. Basically, it was a seat of the pants, very personalistic operation that was all run around the issue of what Comey thought was the right thing to do, as opposed to well-established uh, policies that were vetted by other people. In fact, when the FBI raided his house for the documents that he had wrongly taken, he did not tell them that he had still other documents there. Those came out later. I think what we're going to find is that the counterintelligence uh, parts of the FBI operating in conjunction with the CIA and others in the Obama National Security Team began and in conjunction with Hillary Clinton's campaign and the State Department all worked together to sink Donald Trump's uh, election and then after his election to damn his presidency. And as this is thoroughly investigated, I think it will be shocking. It will be hard for NBC to run without the story. It will be, however, a question as to whether or not anything that came out last week or anything that's coming out in the next IG report or anything that's coming out from the U.S. attorney in, in Connecticut who was appointed by the attorney general to look into this case, uh, which gets into the, the, uh, uh, the way in which the FBI was used to get the FISA report, uh, or FISA plan uh, passed or by, approved by the judge. The question is, is this going to change any vote or is this just a gotcha moment for those that are supporting the president but is it going to turn into votes, Mike? I'm only hoping that I, I'll almost say that it, the the election is secondary. What to me is is necessary here is is uh, some kind of justice. And I can tell you, I, I I like small government. I don't trust government. But I have become more and more disturbed by everything I see that there are two justice systems. There's one for all of us. Mm-hmm. And there's one for them, and them are people like Comey and, and Hillary Clinton, and, and I'm sure uh, some Republicans along the way as well, that, that we just aren't given a fair shake. It's I, I heard a comment that, that, um, that this law that he violated by putting these personal things and giving them out, it wasn't a real bad law that he broke. I, I could imagine them saying that to me if I do something on, in my car or whatever. It wasn't a bad job, a, a bad law, so I think I'll let you go. I know darn well that would never occur. So well, I, it I didn't because, happen to Deutsch when he was the CIA director, and he had his computer at home and had typed a few things. He he wasn't prosecuted, but he mm-hmm. lost his security yeah. clearance. I mean, they sure. really handled him. Is the bigger story here when we look at the impact of, of this story and the use of the story by each side to try to cast dispersions on the opposite side. Is the bigger story here that there is no major news operation 
that the American people can go to to say, I'm going to get a straight story from CBS, ABC, NBC, <laughs> CNN, or Fox News. Mm -hmm. Is is that the loss here? In other words, if if the founding fathers wanted us to believe that an informed citizenry is what was really needed, have we passed the point where we can have an informed citizen citizenry based on facts? That's the question. I want to discuss that with our guest this evening. I want to discuss it with you as well. 1-800-723-8029 from coast to coast and border to border. This is Beyond the Beltway. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education. DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving that a disability is not a limitation. My victory was getting my service dog a new best friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. From Boston, Massachusetts to Springfield, Illinois, you're listening to Beyond the Beltway. Nice to have you with us this evening. Jennifer Nevers, let me ask you the question. Mm -hmm. uh, you are probably the, the strongest card-carrying, flag-waving, uh, banner-supporting uh, drumster we've had on the program for the last couple of years, maybe with the exception of our good friend Doug Ibendahl. <laughs> But my question to you is, is there, is there anything that the mainstream media could tell you about Donald Trump that was 100% accurate that you would accept? If it was 100% accurate, I'd accept it. I don't know how. You know, it's a misnomer to think that a lot of Trump supporters think that, uh, you know, Trump came down with the Ten Commandments from, you know, Mount Sinai. It, we know it didn't happen, most of us. And so I'm not a sycophant, and there have been times when um, Trump has done things that, frankly, I've spoken about on this program that I didn't approve of. So, yeah, I think that uh, absolutely. Would I question the source? Yeah, you have to nowadays mm -hmm. because uh, the mainstream media, by and large, are not honest brokers. When the president states that he wanted to uh, drop a, a nuclear bomb on, on a hurricane and then also adds when it comes to the category five hurricanes that he has experienced before and saying yesterday that he had never knew what a hurricane stage five hurricane was in essence when you hear those stories do you believe those stories? It is a frustration because the media knows damn well how Donald Trump talks. He uses hyperbole. He's very loose with, with talk. 
Just like when he says Fox News is no longer working for us, he doesn't mean they actually were supposed to work for him. They mean in the same way I say, this job isn't working for me, or this isn't working for me. It's an expression. Does anybody reasonable think that Donald Trump really wanted to drop a nuke on a hurricane? Well, if you believe that, there's not really much I can say to you. I know that that's not what he meant, but it's so amusing that the, the media is so intent on being so, so literal he, with Trump. you don't think he said it? I think he said it in the same way he says a lot of things. I want to drop a nuke on that hurricane. I mean, come on. Do you really think that he no, thinks I that think a nuke said, is going to Could work? Yeah, Mike, Mike, Mike your, your, your response to this. Yeah, I had heard that uh, that actually someone talked about this years ago, some yeah. meteorologist, in terms of uh -huh. the amount of energy in a nuke versus the amount of energy inside of a of a Category 5 hurricane and so forth. And it turns out a, a hurricane generates what a nuke does in a matter of seconds. The, the hurricane is so powerful. But these things, and he probably heard it somewhere, and it just came out of his mouth. And, and you're right, Jennifer, that's exactly the kind of guy that he is. But I don't remember the press uh, focusing, the Republicans did, the member of Congress who was afraid that if we put too much uh, stuff on the island of Guam, it's, mm -hmm. gonna, it's going to capsize. Johnson. Yeah. Johnson was his name. Yeah. yeah, I don't remember all of a sudden uh, that, oh, you know, look at this fool making these foolish statements. And but he really when, did but think when, that. When the news media reports these stories, are they legitimate stories to report if indeed the president ask that question. And secondly, there are people that are supporters of Donald Trump. They would say, well, why isn't that a legitimate question? It may be silly, but you know what? I've had the same question, but the president had the, had the guts to ask a question, even though it might have been a stupid question. And a lot of teachers say there's no such thing as a stupid question. Would you say that, Professor? Um, there are stupid questions. <laughs> anybody, uh, yeah, yeah, anybody who is talking. Hey, you brought a talk show. You ought to know. Well, I know, but my, that's my point, though. Is, is if 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 you ask a stupid question, there's a lot of people that may want the answer. Well, let to me that give you my question. my short answer. Duh. Um, okay. the, the the there are two sides on, on this that, that could be explored. One is about Trump. The other is about the media. And what you were really focusing on, I think rightly, was do we trust the media? And he, let me say a couple of things about that. Uh, ever since Dan uh, Rather tried to sink uh, George W. Bush mm -hmm. right. with a, fraud, a, a fraudulent um, uh, item, uh, and he was uncovered by the earliest version of the web, people have really seen how uh, mainstream media has become more and more partisan. And that's not just misreporting stories like Dan Rather did. It's what you said about NBC's uh, Meet the Press, where they omit mm -hmm. stories. I'd say the second thing to say here is that... Um, there are leaks that come out of uh, all White Houses. And what you see at the Washington Pre uh, with the Washington Press Corps is that if the leak is negative uh, to Trump, they will run with it. Let me just mention that the woman who resigned this week, uh, who was uh, a sort of under 30-year-old aide but played an important mm -hmm. kind of gatekeeper role, mm -hmm spoke to members of the press 
on acknowledgement that it was completely off, off the, the record. record. That's right. When a reporter for the Washington Post who was at that meeting then reported it mm -hmm. in violation of that, the Post did not deny that it was off the record and he had violated it. They merely mm. said he kept up with our standards at the Washington Post. Well, yeah. what does that tell you? Yeah. Well, he passed off the information to another reporter, and then the reporter reported so he could put one degree of separation between... Was it a professor at Columbia Law School? Yeah. 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 Wow. <laughs> Who knows? It's the, it's the interpretation that the media gives to Trump's actions, which are always negative, and it's them ascribing right. motives to Trump, which are always negative. So it's very difficult for me to take what they say seriously. Do you believe that the the, the level of, of treatment of this president mm -hmm. by the major networks... Do you believe it has reached a level where you are no longer concerned about it because you think it is so egregious that the average person, whether they're a Trumpster or not, the average person can see it? It is so clear. You can cut it with a knife. What's your, I want to get everybody's reaction. Yeah, my reaction to that is we've descended into tribes, and I think people, it's baked into the cake now. So if, you're want, if you are um, feeling like you're going to believe Trump, you're going to believe Trump. If you're going to go with the Democrat side and the media, you're going to believe them. So it doesn't keep me up at night what the media says. Michael, what do you th say to that? Uh, you know, it, the old expression about once you ring a bell, you cannot unring it. Whether oh. you're a, a Trumpster or not, once you've heard something, especially if it's a lie, it's still going to be stuck in your head. And it will affect how you think about someone. And I just, I have no problem with the media being biased. I really don't. That's part of the First Amendment. They have the right to do so. What really bothers me is that they tell us that they are journalists when they're not journalists. They're commentators. The, the New York Times making this decision essentially for the past two years, they're going to do the Russia story and they're going to bury Trump. Regardless of what the news is, it's going to bury Trump. And now that that's dead, they have decided that we're going to put everything that we write is going to be that Trump is a racist. And everything that we, we present will be to add to that narrative. So I don't trust anything. That, I think it's one of the great scandals to come mm. out that this supposed uh, newspaper of record has such bias that I would not trust anything that comes out of it. What, is it, what does it do to the country, Charles? The, the, just picking up on this effort by the New York Times. What, what does it do if it makes the case against Trump? Because when you're making the case against Trump, I believe you're also making the case against the 62 million people Absolutely. who voted for Trump. Well, of course. You're basically saying they are all right. racist. You are so And right. if so, right. what does it do to the body politic, the ability to, to debate and discuss issues? I went to a party in Hyde Park a year or so ago and said something along that line. I said it was so disturbing to see all the people who voted for uh, Trump being spoken about as if they were deplorable. And the woman I was speaking to, a very educated person, said they are deplorable. I would say that the, uh, and then went on to try to make the argument, there are, um, the studies show that this may cover as much as four or five points in the general election. Mm -hmm. It has a big uh, effect. The second effect is that we are, uh, part of it is just the nature of modern media, but it's 
uh, we are a fragmented country. The, our, our motto, e pluribus unum, one out of many, is just been shattered, first by the universities, which organize everybody into victims groups. And if you're not in a victims group, let's say uh, you have two parents and they're of the wrong race, Lord forbid, then you're an oppressor. That's right. And the only thing you can really do um, to show common cause with the oppressed, who are probably the at Stanford or whatever, the, uh, the uh, daughter of a neurosurgeon of what they consider a preferred race or something, is, uh, is to go along with whatever they say. It's just terribly damaging. Is the, is the national news media, Mike uh, Miller, is the national news media destroying this country? Wow. They're certainly making it harder, as Charles was saying, to, to be together, to be one nation. And I think the fragmentation in part is driven by their desire to drive us apart, that they're going to create these camps and they're going to say whatever they have to that, again, I hate that word has become the common word, narrative. They have something that, that they believe to be true about somebody being morally superior and they're going to say everything they have to and can, and even if they have to lie, to, to match that narrative. Even and if I, they did it in 2016, and it didn't work. And it just so it they're, didn't they're work. basically saying, hey, we tried to deliver this message once, right. and 62 million people didn't hear it. We're going to keep ramming it down their throat, and hopefully and, more and will, uh, I, will I would jump be on just our as, side. Yeah, and I would be just as upset if this were happening on the conservative side. Right. I do not want to be... Fed nonsense. I want to okay. be fed truth. We've got to pause. 1-800-723-8029. When we come back, we're going to talk about our late great friend, Michael Bauer. Keeping in touch with family and friends or reaching public safety officials can be challenging during power outages. If telecom networks are affected by severe weather or other conditions, the FCC recommends following these guidelines. Call 911 only when necessary and limit non-emergency calls. Avoid repetitive redialing to minimize network congestion. Try texting if a call doesn't go through. Conserve battery power. Switch mobile phones and devices to power-saving modes and turn off when not in use. If evacuated, Forward landline calls to your cell phone if possible. If you're using your car to charge cell phones or listen to news on the car radio, be aware that carbon monoxide emissions can be deadly in an enclosed space such as a garage. Remember, always seek shelter in dangerous conditions and follow directions from public safety officials. For more info, go to FCC.gov emergency. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago, and we will get back to the discussion that we had and also talk about other political matters as the program unfolds this evening. But I do want to take this segment to talk about the, the passing of a, of, a, of a longtime member of the Beyond the Beltway family, uh, Michael Bauer. Michael Bauer was a progressive Democrat uh, with not only great passion and intellect, but also a great sense of humor. And he would come to this program periodically. Uh, I've, I had known Michael for many, many years, but we were never really good friends until we began to go to a lunch, which is, was thrown by Dave Lundy, who's a frequent guest on this program called Lundy's Lunch. And again, he has political animals from all sides of the political spectrum that meet there on the first uh, or the last uh, Friday of each month. 
And so at that point, Michael and I got to be good friends. And I had asked Michael years ago to be a guest on Beyond the Bell because I thought he would be a good guest. But he always said, no, nah, he didn't really want to do it. He wasn't looking for any of that stuff. So he basically turned me down for many, many years. And then about, I would say a little over three years ago, uh, he finally said, yes, I'll come on and do the show. And he called me up the next day and he said, I really loved it last night. And I said, well, you were a great guest. And uh, what followed that was not only a friendship between us, but it really turned out to be a friendship of those that uh, appear on the program with uh, him. And again, uh, over the years, in fact, uh, over the last you know several months when we all knew that Michael was fighting for his life, there were many people on, on all, both sides of the political spectrum that reached out and gave some very special notices uh, to Michael Bauer and uh, to his uh, partner, Roger, to hopefully uh, try to see him through this very difficult time. So again, uh, you know, I say that we have a family here every Sunday night. And again, wherever you're listening on radio or television, hopefully you get to know some of these people because if they're really good at what they do, we have them back from, from time to time. And Michael was one uh, that was always available when we reached out. He had great spirit. Uh, again, uh, he was a defender of the progressive causes, uh, yet also was able to say if the Democrats did something that he didn't believe in, he had the ability, he never talked from talking points. And that, that's what makes a great guest. You don't talk from talking points. You talk from your heart and you talk from your head. And Michael Bauer did that. So we're going to take a few moments right now to listen to some of the comments of Michael Bauer over the last several years on this program. And then the friends that are with us this evening and also those out in radio TV land that would like to call in and offer an assessment, give you an opportunity to do it as well. We'll also be hearing from a very good local friend from, uh, of Michael's uh, when we come back from this brief look at some of the memorable moments of Michael Bauer on Beyond the Beltway. Um, I have uh, been involved in a number of charitable and political activities for many decades. I currently serve as the co-chair of the State of Illinois Holocaust and Genocide Commission. I am the campaign chair for one of the mayoral candidates in Chicago. Bruce has given me a second of personal privilege to say yesterday was a very special day for my family. We had a family bat mitzvah of my great niece. What makes that so special is that my mom, a Holocaust survivor, a sole survivor of her immediate family of 38, attended the second bat mitzvah of her second oldest great-granddaughter, my mom, who, God willing, will be 103 in two months. Mm. Phenomenal. Wow. wow, incredible. And she's still alive I, and well. She and is alive and well, and, and her mind is sharp, and, uh, and uh, we FaceTime twice a day, and she goes on and on and on and on. <laughs> <laughs> I've always said this to candidates. There was a very different skill set of being an effective elected official than in being an effective candidate. <clears throat> Joe Biden, from my perspective, would be a very effective elected official, would be a very effective president based on his experience and his qualifications. But However, not based on his last two runs for president of the United States. Well, that, I was just going to say, but as a candidate, he is terrible, and he's displaying it again in his reaction to these charges against When When you said from the very beginning you were going to be for Lori Lightfoot. Yes. Did you believe from the very beginning that she could make it or not? Tell well, us the truth. Well, actually, in the very beginning, I assumed she would be running against Rahm Emanuel and other people, and, and I 
had a very high expectation that she would beat Rahm Emanuel. She was the anti-Rahm candidate, and people in this town were tired of Rahm. Okay, but then you went into a period when it was hard to raise money because you were her chief well, the, fundraiser, right? Well, you I was went also a finance chair. Finance chair. And, and then we went into a period where Rahm announced he wasn't going to run, and all of a sudden a bunch of big dogs got in the race, and we went into a period that was a very difficult period. Okay. And then we went into another period where Ed Burke suddenly got indicted. Yes. And all of a sudden, you know, we came back alive. And uh, can one assume that, you're, that the fundraising is starting to flow, has started to flow since a week ago Tuesday? You're getting more checks well, to retire fund, debt? The, the, uh, she doesn't have debt. Uh, oh, debt. Okay. The, the money really started flooding in about the uh, first or second week in February. And it came pouring in. And after the uh, primary, it really came in. Unbelievable. Okay, so. now I want to add, again, another inside yeah. question. Okay. Do you, as the finance person who was yes. watching over, are you keeping track and is the candidate interested in knowing who was there first and who was there late? Because I've always been told that early money is, 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 means gold to a candidate. The people that were there at the very beginning, it, those donations mean a lot more emotionally than maybe even fiscally. I, I would put it a little differently. I, I would say that the mayor-elect is aware of who was with her last May when she first announced and who came on board after the uh, primary. Michael Bauer, you were about to make uh, a point right. about... Uh... I think asking Kim Jong-un to denuclearize, we're forgetting about uh, a precedent that I'm sure is, is very cognizant in his mind. And that's Libya and Muammar Gaddafi. Yeah. Well, we negotiated an agreement with Muammar Gaddafi where he agreed to, to give up his nuclear weapons. And then a couple of administrations later, we decided, oh, I don't like this guy anymore. And we uh, helped bomb him out of existence. So, and he didn't have his nuclear weapons at, at that point to defend himself. So I think going for nuclearization is really never going to happen. Mm. I agree. You know, with that. I think containment is the key. We have gone for decades with China engaged in stealing our intellectual property, with uh, 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 pouring into the marketplace, global marketplace, counterfeit goods, uh, and, and Democratic presidents and Republican presidents have never done anything about the so-called China trade problem. And I have to tell you something. I don't know whether the tariff situation will work or not, but I give Donald Trump credit that he's at least willing to tackle the problem and try to resolve it. I think... Uh, Certainly one of the things that came out of this killing in Virginia Beach is the notion that this killer was using a silencer on one of his weapons. Mm -hmm. Now, silencers are legal in all 50 states for reasons that befuddle me totally. Why does someone need to have a silencer on a weapon? For what reason whatsoever? But going beyond that, I actually think at some point, we as a country will realize the Heller decision was absolutely wrongly decided. It will go into the garbage uh, pail with Korematsu, with Dred Scott, with uh, Plessy versus Ferguson, Roe v. Wade. with Bowers, Bowers versus Hardwick. And, and at some point, we will outlaw private possession of uh, weapons. We are a society in the United States right now that is literally committing suicide on a weekly basis through all these mass killings. And we have to decide at some point are we willing to live with this as a price of being an American? Or are we going to take significant action 
not for reasonable gun control, but for strict gun control and outlaw private possession. Mm -hmm. On a very personal note, I'm fighting for the second time in two months uh, a form of cancer called advanced uh, cutaneous squamous cell carcinoma, which normally is a skin cancer, but for me, for the second time in two months, it has penetrated my skin. This time it's gone into my bones, my, uh, uh, some of my uh, ribs on my left side, on my right side, on my chest, and my uh, pel right pelvis, and on my legs. And I am on an immunotherapy drug. The first patient at Northwestern Memorial to be on this immunotherapy drug. It's brand new to the marketplace. And I am very optimistic that I will continue to be a guest on this show for years to come. We, we certainly hope that. And you uh, you beat it before, so you can beat it again. I plan to. And, and, and I think uh, Thank you, Bruce. Again, your Facebook friends certainly know that story. You've uh, yes. told it to, uh, to a number of uh, close friends. Yes. Uh, but again, I think it's important since uh, you're part of the Beyond the Beltway family. There's a lot of people out there yep. who either had similar uh, situations or you can be an inspiration to them. So uh, thank you for being with us thank tonight. You. Michael Bauer, a very good friend and uh, just a really good friend. I, I know when I heard the news, it's, it's like the second time I've heard news of someone passing you know, with a text. Uh, it's very impersonal. But again, I know it, uh, it, it made me cry when I heard the news because he was more than just a great member of this family. Uh, he was a good personal friend. And I know that Jennifer Nevins, uh, you, at least around the table this evening, I think you probably appeared on the program with Michael more than anyone else. And you probably never, ever agreed politically but you, you folks kind of loved each other, didn't you? Yeah, we did. Michael, um, one of the last things uh, Michael and I communicated to each other was that, you know, we loved each other. And uh, most of those clips that you showed, I was there for most of them, not all of them. And I remember him talking. And what I will remember most about Michael is that I was not a Trump supporter to Michael. I was uh, a person first, second, third, and somewhere down the list, um, I was a political adversary. And I will always miss him. It was such a wonderful thing being able to be with him. And uh, he was truly uh, a man among men. When we come back, we'll hear from the rest of our guests and also some special guests who'll be calling in. We'll take this discussion through the end of this hour. We'll be coming back to our regular discussion of politics in hour number two. I'm Bruce Dumont from coast to coast and border to border tonight, mourning the loss of a good friend, Michael Bauer. I'm Sandberg, and I want to tell you about Miracle, the musical, inspired by the 2016 champion Chicago Cubs. It's one of the best productions I have ever seen. Now playing at the Royal George Theater. Do not miss it. Millions estimate their benefits online, so they can do what they want offline. Social Security. Securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Today, millions of people all across America are building a life in recovery from addiction and mental illness. Helping themselves. And helping each other. With friends, family, and community lending their strength and support. Join the Voices for Recovery. Together, we are stronger. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral for mental and substance use disorders, for you or someone you know, call 1-800-662-HELP. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services.
They're listening in El Paso, Texas tonight, and we'll hopefully hear from them before the program ends. And uh, uh, Mike Miller, you wanted to make a couple of comments, yeah. and then we we have people calling in as well. Of all the cat, and of all the people on the other side that I've I've been on seventy one times. This is my seventy one, and I must say, of all the people I've ever dealt with, he was the one I enjoyed having on the other side of the table. And there were it was actually a personal reason. Uh, so many times within academia, I'm dealing with people who really believe that me that as a conservative and as a Republican, I am morally inferior, and I and they are morally superior. And they are smug about it. And that really bothers me. And he was never once smug. Now, I completely disagree with his comment, for example, on gun control. But he would never, and any time we would have a disagreement, have some smugness that I know the answer and you are so deplorable. And that's why I admired him so. I, I, yeah. I, 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 I met him through this lunch you talk about. And I just, I just, I don't want to say fell in love with the man, but I did, in a sense. He just is such a genuine human being. Charles, you're also a, a frequent visitor to that lunch, and you've also engaged with him around the table here. And been to parties with him and uh, uh, very much uh, know and like his husband, Roger, mm -hmm. uh, now his widow, widower. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I guess the one word I would use about, uh, about him beyond what you said mm -hmm. so, so well, Mike, is a hundred percent. He was a hundred percent for a lot of the liberal and progressive causes. Oh, yeah. He was a hundred percent for a strong U.S.-Israel mm -hmm. relationship. He was a hundred percent for uh, LBGDQ. You know all the, the letters. Yeah, he was a hundred percent for all those things, and he could do it without being a hundred percent against other Absolutely. people and that is a rare talent yeah. joining us now is someone that that knew michael probably longer than anyone at this table and that's tracy bame tracy bame is a member of the gay and lesbian hall of fame in the city of chicago she's the editor and publisher or the publisher of the chicago reader and once upon a time uh she was also the uh, chief cook and bottle washer and she's still a big wig over at, at windy city times which is the largest uh, gay newspaper in the city of chicago Tracy, uh, your your comment on the role that, that Michael Bauer uh, played within the gay and lesbian community. Certainly uh, so large. I don't know that you could really um, talk about it in a short period of time, but I met him circa around 1990. And his work on Jewish LGBT issues, LGBT issues in general, was phenomenal, but it was also very personal. The fact that he and Roger would be seen at galas and events all over Chicago was really symbolic because so much of what the change we achieved was because people couldn't look you in the eye and be as discriminatory as if you were an anonymous person. And having Roger and him at events with Dick Durbin, at events with Jan Schakowsky and all these other politicians really had an impact on them too. Um, he also was great across the board on many issues, including military um, equality. My partner was an, is an Air Force veteran, and he was very supportive of, of the fight to end Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Mm -hmm. um, Pro-choice was really an amazing thing to see Michael work on, because not many gay men, except Terry Cosgrove, um, are as passionate about the issue of reproductive freedom as Michael Bauer was. And so he was a huge ally to the women's portion of the LGBTQ community, 
in a way that was um, both refreshing and also sometimes rare. So I, he just across the board helped not only political candidates, but also the core issues that our community was successful in fighting over the last three decades mm -hmm. or more in Chicago. Right. So both on a personal level and a political level. Yeah. Well, he will be uh, laid to rest uh, on, on Tuesday uh, in Chicago uh, with services. And again, our condolences uh, to his longtime uh, partner, uh, Roger. Uh, we wish uh, him, uh, you know, as best one could have in these circumstances. But Tracy, again, thank you very much for adding to our discussion and reflections on uh, Michael Bauer this evening. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Joining us now is uh, Dave Lundy. We mentioned him uh, earlier in the uh, broadcast. Uh, he is a frequent guest on this program as well, and really it was at his uh, luncheon, which he has uh, once a month, where at least I first met Michael uh, with any regularity, and uh, from that meeting, uh, his regular participation on Beyond the Beltway emerged from that. So, uh, uh, Dave, I know, I know you knew uh, Michael a long time. Uh, your reaction to his passing? Well, personally, I... I been devastated by this. Um, uh, Michael and I, over the years, grew very, very close. We would talk several times a week. Um, and it was a really nice tribute uh, you just did. Um, always great to see Michael. You know, the thing that I think everybody is touching on when they talk about him as, the, you know, when conservatives talk about him as their favorite liberal, um, is that Mike always talked from the heart. Mm -hmm. So you may disagree with him, but you knew it was coming from his heart. Bruce, you, you put it exactly right earlier when you said Michael never talked from talking points. Um, he was a genuine original, and in the Yiddish tradition, Mike was a mensch. Um, and I think everybody who knew him, even if they didn't always agree with him, they respected him, they liked him, he had this magnetic warm smile um, and it just spoke volumes about who he was as a person um, and, and the laugh he had that yeah, great laugh he, he, had a, he had a twinkle in his eye and a, and a great laugh yeah no the laugh is uh, something I'll, I'll, I'll miss dearly you know Mike had a tradition um, and this is this is not a beyond the beltway thing but Mike had a tradition uh, at weddings and bar mitzvahs and um, Mike and Roger loved to bump and grind with the bride. Um, he did it, he did it with, with my wife on multiple oh, occasions. Well, well, and as a gay man, you're like, this is wonderful. Well, well, <laughs> um, we got we to so, take, take a look uh, at that video. One of the great things Dave, that happened on Facebook after I, I yeah. told the world that, that Mike had passed, no. and then everybody started doing tributes, is that people started posting their photos yeah. of Michael bumping and grinding with the wife, <laughs> with the spouse. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, we have to uh, say farewell at this point. Again, it's always good when you're discussing someone that's passed away. Uh, the last story brings uh, laughter to the conversation. Uh, you did that. Again, we all have a sorrow, sorry heart this evening. But again, uh, we thank you very much for joining us to share your thoughts on Michael Bauer. I'm Bruce Dumont. When we return, back to politics. Hi, I'm Ryan Sandberg, and I want to tell you about Miracle, the musical, inspired by the 2016 champion Chicago Cubs. It's one of the best productions I have ever seen. Now playing at the Royal George Theater. Do not miss it. Millions estimate their benefits online so they can do what they want offline. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow.
See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Today, millions of people all across America are building a life in recovery from addiction and mental illness, helping themselves and helping each other with friends, family, and community lending their strength and support. Join the Voices for Recovery. Together, we are stronger. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral for mental and substance use disorders, for you or someone you know, call 1-800-662-HELP. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Keeping in touch with family and friends or reaching public safety officials can be challenging during power outages. If telecom networks are affected by severe weather or other conditions, the FCC recommends following these guidelines. Call 911 only when necessary and limit non-emergency calls. Avoid repetitive redialing to minimize network congestion. Try texting if a call doesn't go through. Conserve battery power. Switch mobile phones and devices to power-saving modes and turn off when not in use. If evacuated, forward landline calls to your cell phone if possible. If you're using your car to charge cell phones or listen to news on the car radio, be aware that carbon monoxide emissions can be deadly in an enclosed space such as a garage. Remember, always seek shelter in dangerous conditions and follow directions from public safety officials. For more info, go to FCC.gov emergency. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education. DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving that a disability is not a limitation. My victory was getting my service dog and new best friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Bruce Dumont back for hour number two, talking politics tonight from coast to coast and border to border. Uh, thank you very much uh, for being with us. 1-800-723-8289. And here's a question for you, because this gets back to the discussion that we had in the first hour, which is about the news media. And generally, when we're talking about the news media, we're talking about the news media and how, how uh, horrible they are to Donald Trump. A lot of people think that's really is the, is the right word, horrible. But I want to ask you this question, and, and if you are a Democrat, you may want to jump on it. If you're a Republican, maybe you uh, can be a great analyst and uh, maybe agree with what I'm about to say. I would say that the national news media isn't very nice to Joe Biden. I think the national news media wants to see some of these other also-rans, uh, at the moment at least, to knock him off. What do you think of that? They're picking up all the gaffes. Yes, he's given them lots of ammunition, as does the president. But I think they would like to make a better story. They'd like someone to knock Joe Biden off, get him out of the race. And then likewise, I know Bernie Sanders has been complaining that he feels he's been given a short shrift by the national news media. 
uh, and that perhaps others, including Elizabeth Warren, are being given sort of the, 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 the golden-edged uh, coverage at the moment. And I want to know whether you believe in that. So there may be some Bernie Sanders supporters. There may be some Joe Biden supporters that want to call in. Or if, uh, if you think I'm all wet and think that uh, they've been treated very well by the national news media, do let me know. It's hard to believe that Bernie Sanders would be upset with news coverage when his news coverage four years ago was so great. Uh, and you may want to challenge that particular point. But I do want to get your, your thoughts on this. My question to you, uh, I'm going to start with you, uh, Charles Lipson, because you recently wrote uh, uh, some points about Joe Biden uh, or an article about Joe Biden in uh, a Real Clear Politics, where you, where you are a frequent contributor to uh, Tom Bevan's uh, great publication. And give us, the, uh, give us the short version, the abridged version of your thoughts. I think that that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to see here. Move along. Uh, I think that, <laughs> I think that there, uh, Democrats have three worries about Joe Biden. They have one big plus, which is that so far he's been enough middle of the road that they think he's got a good chance in the upper Midwest, which they need to carry the election. I've got to say he's moving further left in the primaries, and that's going to hurt him. But I think that they have three questions. One is, can he match up with Donald Trump on a debate stage? And I don't think there's anybody who thinks that he really can. The second is, when will he step in it again with one of these gaff comments? But I think that the third may be the biggest of all. I think people are beginning to worry whether there's some cognitive decline. And I think he's got to prove that he's fully there. Uh, I do think that the media wants to see a race. They like to see a horse race because they've got a lot of time to cover. Uh, Mike Bell, yeah, your I, comment. Okay. I'll tell you, I, found this. I don't think anybody's going to come close to the, the media's treatment of Donald Trump. I think what's the number? 93% of all uh, coverage of Trump up and through the entire election was negative. According the, to a Harvard study yes. of the media. Yeah, and then the uh, the uh, Media Research Council and a couple of have, have done have studies. Confirmed it, yeah. And, and I get your point, uh, Bruce, that they would like to have some kind of a, of a battle here. But I'd like to see the data. You know, I'm an economist. I want to see the data. I just have a feeling that, that every Democrat is going to get the benefit of the doubt. Uh, one thing, for example, when he he clearly... I, I guess the word is lied. When he told that whole story about pinning the medal, the silver medal on that soldier, and it turned mm -hmm. out he had everything wrong about the story, there were people who were saying, oh, it's just, and they were making excuses. Not remember one person the woman would ever at, make an excuse for Donald Trump. Remember, yeah. the, the woman at the Washington Post who won the Pulitzer Prize for his story had to give it back for doing exactly that, for compiling oh, fictional right. characters. Yes. Yeah. In, so it's not as if they don't know that this is wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. And he didn't, it wasn't just wrong. Afterwards, after all this had been pointed out to him, he said, I still don't understand what I did wrong. Right, he still didn't get it. That's why is you're saying about it. Is it the plagiarism thing that, 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 uh, that obviously disrupted his campaign many years ago? I mean, is, is that strain still running through his bloodstream? But he doesn't know necessarily that he's picking up either half stories or stories from other people. Or when you talk to people, who, when you talk to people who've really worked with him, and I have, 
uh, two things come out, and people don't like to say it. And the first is that he's dumb as a box of rocks. And the other is that he can't carry a thought for a long, sustained period of time. Like most United States senators. Mm. Well, I, I didn't hear what you were saying. I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 no, because, because he's... He, he has been at the public trough for a long, long time. Well, since he life. was in the 20s. Absolutely. Not the 1920s, his 20s. He's his never, 20s. He's and he never actually had... ran for Senate before he was supposed to. Yeah, he, be, he was 30 yeah. when he, he became He ran senator. before his voice changed. His <laughs> first, his, this was his first campaign. <laughs> yeah. I think the media is really torn because I think they're really scared that, this, uh, that his campaign is not going to be able to go the distance. I don't think they really want him anyway. I think they'd rather have a true blue progressive. Mm -hmm. So that's why you only had Chris Matthews that actually came out this time and said, hey, a reporter would be fired you know, for doing something like this. But everybody was very quiet. Yeah. So I think that they're at war with themselves. They don't know which way to go. I think that uh, the smart money is on Biden getting the nomination still. And I think that Joe Biden's probably the only one out of this crew that could get elected. But at the same time, the media really probably does not want this man to get the brass mm -hmm. ring. So it's, their they're kind of tortured right Elizabeth now. Elizabeth That's Warren. right. Yeah. I, I do yeah. believe that. And so I think that they're really torn as to what to do. I kind of find it and they like comical, the, actually. Well, they, <laughs> like, they, like Peter, they like Pete Buttigieg. But yeah, which he's not Buttigieg going anywhere. is only going to take he's you not, so, you know, right. so, so he's far. He's not going Well, anywhere. he's got to work his way up to Fort Wayne and then maybe yeah. Indianapolis and larger and larger cities. Right. He bit off Raise, too much. He's raising a lot of money. Why is he raising so much money, Charles? Some people Look, are, they, they, candidates they like, like Elizabeth Warren and Pete Buttigieg um, hit absolutely the sweet spot of the donor class and the intellectual class. This is who we are, uh, right? I mean, Buttigieg's father was a professor at Notre Dame. I think his mm -hmm. mother's an intellectual as well. His father was an expert on Marxist ideology. Uh, the problem that he has and that, uh, that Elizabeth Warren has so far is that it's really hard to get the Democratic nomination without having really strong African-American support, and neither one of them has no. it. Yeah. And neither does Bernie Sanders. No. The, uh, Bernie Sanders um, is a case where... Uh, the party has taken his positions, but not him. Yeah, well, the, right. But I'm just saying, insofar as right. African American, the African American right. candidates, even Camilla Harris, yep. uh, she was not doing as well as you would think that she might do. And obviously, Cory Booker is pouring everything into South Carolina to see how well he will do there. But and then, of course, we should take maybe a moment of silence for Kirsten Gillibrand, that's enough. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, God. Because she oh. really, uh, talk about a, a bust out on right. the national stage. Right. Speaking of uh, busting out, we're going to bust out from our conversation here and reach out to the folks out in phone land and radio and TV land. 1-800-723-8029 from coast to coast and border to border. You're listening to Beyond the Beltway, now in our 39th year on the air. Don't... My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, 
we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education. DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving that a disability is not a limitation. My victory was getting my service dog a new best friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. That was Bruce Newman back in Chicago, and uh, you were going to tell a Bob Cousy story? <laughs> I can remember as a small kid in, in Mississippi, and of course I love the Boston Celtics. What a great team. And Bob Cousy was on them, and I'd never heard him speak. And they asked him a question, and it was the first time I heard him speak, and they asked, what do you attribute your success to? And he said, my peripheral vision. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Now, so it was like, I have a friend in Rome. <laughs> when did you say this? Recently? No, this was, oh, years ago. This was when I was a, a mere pup. Oh, I thought it was his... He no, but he, got we were talking Vegas. about Bob Cousy because he won uh, the Medal, Medal of Freedom. Freedom, right. And, uh, and boy, those were great uh, Celtic teams. Okay. All right, let's go to Lee listening to us in Kenosha, and he's streaming the show tonight on his computer. Nice to have you with us, Lee. And yeah, I think I've been with you for, I think I've been with you for almost all of your nine, 39 years. Are wow. you kidding me? No. 39 years? Oh my god. When did We're you kidding. When did you what did you start? He's now 44. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's that's going back a ways. That goes back um, to WBEZ, do you think or yeah. before that? Well, it used to be in WLS. Oh yes. Well, that was yeah. That was yes. I and was there for twenty-two years. You were on something before that too. Yes, I was. I was on a, a WBEZ uh, in Chicago. I started on public radio, and then I was on syndicated radio, and then I went to WLS where I was on syndicated radio, and now I'm on WIND and WCGO in Chicago. Can't you keep as well a as job? Thirty-nine yeah, other you stations all over the country. But it's nice to have you with us. I, I have a question, and I appreciate your wisdom. Um, I have never been a fan of the Clintons, and I'm kind of independent. But I've been very troubled by what Comey did last fall for the head of the FBI to be coming out uh, in the middle of election doing this. And there's something particularly which bothered me. Can you hear me okay? There's yes, yes. No, you've, you, you're sounding very good. Okay. Um, it, it turns out that the FBI had started looking into matters about Russia and her indirect Trump. How some out raised questions about Hillary and what she may or may not have done and not have aware of the FBI investigating Trump have either stayed out of this altogether or have balanced. I think everybody agrees with you. Mm -hmm. I think that this is exactly uh, the problem. And I think um, we still don't know how it all began, but it really does look as if um, the investigation of Trump began without a predicate, as the lawyers say. That is, there was no particular reason. Mm -hmm. There was a good reason to investigate Russia. 
but yes. there was not a good reason to investigate Trump. Trump. And right. if there was, there was every reason to do as the FBI had done with Diane Feinstein, which was to say, you may have a problem on your staff, and they allowed her quietly to get rid of a person who was a Chinese right. spy. Yeah. Now, once they got into the investigation of Hillary, then the question was, they let it run into the middle of election season. Now they face a Hobson's choice. If they indict her, there's no time for the Democrats to replace her. If they don't indict her, which is what happened, uh, despite clear evidence mm -hmm. against her, it looks as if we have a two-tiered system of justice we do. because we do. That's right, exactly. Absolutely. And you know what's but, disturbing as well is um, they had the head of, of course, of the FBI was J. Edgar Hoover, who used the FBI for his own aggrandizement right. and so forth. And we thought all those days were over. And it appears for sure, after looking at this, that James Comey used the FBI because he, in a way, because he did not like Donald Trump, and he was going to use it the report against says that it, man. The IG exactly. says yeah. Right. Yeah. he had a personal, a personal goal. That's right. And yeah. you're not supposed to have that. That's right. right. And that Ler yeah. Lois Lerner did this during the Obama administration right. using the IRS not against prosecuted. people. I know, but see, that's why people like me believe that there's this two-tier system. There's one for us, and there's one for them. Right. And it, it really does bug me. And I... I, I, I still admire the FBI. I think it's a wonderful organization, and most of the people there, I'm sure, are just fine. But the last thing the FBI needed, if we're going to have confidence in the American justice system, is to do what Comey did. And I think it's just now, a, an outrage. You know, early in the Trump administration, uh, when those that were chanting, lock her up, were an important part of the, at least the, the, the Trump persona, with the with the Trumpsters, uh, Jennifer, mm -hmm. uh, the president made a comment early on. This is in the president-elect era, or period of time, when he said, "No, no, we're not. We're not going to. We're not going to go there." I mean, the president made a public statement mm -hmm. that he was not going to satisfy a lot of his fans mm -hmm. by pulling the threads, and they might have led to a Clinton indictment. But he himself said, "We're not going to go there." And even though he said that, his enemies at the FBI decided, okay, they're not going to go there. We're going to go after him. Right. right. So there was no, he wasn't getting any credit for not saying that they were not going to go after Hillary. No. Now let me ask you all this question. Do you think there would be some, would it be good politics or horrible politics if the Attorney General of the United States were to decide to prosecute Hillary Clinton in any way, assuming there is some uh, evidence that she should be prosecuted? Or is it one of those issues that, for the good of the country, we close our eyes and turn our back on that? What do you think of that, guys? Wow. 
I think if that prosecution was going to be a genuine prosecution and it was allowed to run its course, and that means a whole lot of people would be caught up in that dragnet, the deep state, which is what we've wanted mm -hmm. for so long. Yes. If that were going to happen, it wasn't some sham halfway done prosecution, something where she pleads out or some kind of nonsense, or if it wasn't for show, and they actually put the pedal to the metal, it would be a wonderful thing politically. It would galvanize Trump's base. I think it would get some people in the middle who've been wondering about all this, where we need the facts later out for them. I think that it would be um, a good thing politically, but it has to be. It's like going to war. You got to do it or don't do it at all. And that's how I feel it would have Charles? to take place. I think it would, uh, it would inevitably look to people as if it were revenge prosecution. Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of go along with Gerald Ford, who got no credit for one of the best decisions of his presidency when he pardoned uh, Richard Nixon. I'll tell you what I do want to know. It's also I probably wanna, why he lost re-election. Even so, the American people uh, made a mistake, uh, as they did when they voted for the guy he lost to. But the I want to understand how all the people around Hillary Clinton received immunity mm -hmm. in return for nothing. Well, and that's they, what I'm referring and, to. And, but yeah. you see, the problem there is at the FBI. And the most disturbing thing I've heard about the FBI this week is that they are still resisting allowing um, General Flynn's attorney to see the material that she needs to contest. They won't give her to contest his... Uh, Plea. He plead. He pled uh, under pressure from Andrew Weissman and those people because they were going to break him and charge his son. And under that pressure, he pled to something he really didn't do. And uh, now I think that there's a judge in the case who's going to overturn a lot of this. But I'm deeply disturbed that Chris Ray at the FBI is still in the protection mode. Did anybody hear Chris Ray say anything about the IG report that damn? the way that the FBI behaved mm -hmm. under Comey. Mm -hmm. Not a word. No, no. Right. It's inexcusable. Yeah. Right. Mike. Uh, no, I, I, I think there was an injustice done with Hillary Clinton. I think uh, it was a mistake. She violated the law. It was clear intent was not required, and they used that as a means of getting around it. What will matter to me much more, I'm convinced after reading Andy McCarthy and many other people over many years, that, that Charles's point that we have one of the greatest scandals in American history in that an, a sitting administration used its power to try to destroy a candidate from the other party. And they tried to destroy Americans like Carter Page. I don't know anything about Carter Page, but the man is an innocent man and they tried to destroy him and they destroyed Papadopoulos and they destroyed Flynn. And I want to see that there is justice done and there. And that almost certainly had to go all the way to the White all House. All the way to the top. Mm -hmm. Absolutely the case. And, and if, if that were actually made public, even if there wasn't a trial, if all the information, if the president would make public all that information, that would go a long way towards Americans thinking that maybe we don't have a two-tier system, one for them and one when for us. When Durham brings these charges, in a certain way, I hope that Bill Barr is not even at the press conference. 
I really oh, want yeah, D- Durham. Durham being the U.S. attorney. Is the yeah. U.S. attorney. Who was appointed by the attorney general to look into the uh, And by the way, he has a lot of experience with, um, with Mueller's bad conduct because the FBI in Boston was thoroughly corrupt when... Uh, Mueller was the U.S. attorney there and mm-hmm. kept people in prison, mm-hmm. even though uh, Mueller knew they were innocent. Right. And it was Durham who uncovered all of that. Right. There was exculpatory evidence that he ignored. Yep. yep. We've got to pause. 1 800 723 8289. When we come back, we're going to talk about trade. We're going to talk mm. about the economy. We're going to talk about your 401k. Uh-oh. And does it make any difference to the President of the United States? Is? Back shortly. Keeping in touch with family and friends or reaching public safety officials can be challenging during power outages. If telecom networks are affected by severe weather or other conditions, the FCC recommends following these guidelines. Call 911 only when necessary and limit non-emergency calls. Avoid repetitive redialing to minimize network congestion. Try texting if a call doesn't go through. Conserve battery power. Switch mobile phones and devices to power-saving modes and turn off when not in use. If evacuated, forward landline calls to your cell phone if possible. If you're using your car to charge cell phones or listen to news on the car radio, be aware that carbon monoxide emissions can be deadly in an enclosed space such as a garage. Remember, always seek shelter in dangerous conditions and follow directions from public safety officials. For more info, Go to FCC.gov slash emergency. And we are back. We're discussing the Finger Lakes, which uh, was some of the uh, video that we were showing from our one of our affiliates up there in Geneva, New York. And uh, you've been up there, uh, Mike. I have. Uh, it's I've, one of the most, you know, upstate New York is one of the most beautiful parts of the United States. And I don't think enough people know about it. Right. And they have the largest state park in the country. The Adirondacks is uh-huh. a state oh, yeah. park. Yeah. And uh, I was, uh, my wife and I are, were campers back then, and we were at Lake Placid the summer before the 1980 Winter Games. Wow. And it was just gorgeous. And what was the most famous event, the 1980 Winter Games? Oh, that would be the hockey team beating the Soviet Union. That's yes, right. Winning the gold medal. Absolutely. And the goalie was? Oh, I cannot remember. Jim Craig. Huh? Jim Craig. Really? I think so. I think that's my memory is right. Anyway, I want to go back to a professor, a professor of economics. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have been at DePaul University for 38 years. 39. 39 I'm starting my 40th year. And you're going to stay there until you get it right. That's right. Until you get get a positive student review. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us, uh, tell us in, in, in lay terms. Sure. What is so important about the trade imbalance that we currently have? Why is that a bad thing? It's not a bad thing. It's one of these things that when you use the word deficit, you assume deficit is bad and surplus is good. And that's simply incorrect when it comes to to even even within a household. If you're running a deficit because you're using money to educate yourself, that's a good thing. If you're running a deficit because you're buying lotto tickets, that's a bad thing. So we have a trade deficit because we don't save enough. The United States does not, within its borders, produce enough goods to meet everything that we want to consume. 
That requires, therefore, that we go outside the country. The price we have to pay to get those goods outside the country are our exports. We have to sell them some of our stuff so that we can get some of their stuff. The trade deficit exists because we sell them less than they sell us because we need all this extra stuff from them. Now, what happens is our money then flows to these other countries. Now, the reason is because we're, we're not producing enough here. We're not saving enough. So as long as we don't save, there will be a trade deficit. But understand that that money does come back. When, when our money goes out and we buy more from the other countries than they buy from us, they have U.S. dollars. And they can use those dollars to do two things. They can buy goods or they can buy securities. And what they do is they use these dollars then to, have, to buy U.S. treasuries and things like that. So while we have a trade deficit when it comes to goods and services, we have a surplus when it comes to financials. So they always, the two of them will equal each other out. And, and that's one thing I wish that Mr. Uh, Trump would understand. Getting the trade deficit to fall is not in and of itself a good thing. I'll give you uh, uh, Japan for most of the past 25 years or so, not all of them, has had a trade surplus. And Charles, do you happen to know the average growth rate of Japan over the past 25 years? Basically zero. But it's, it's somewhere around between zero and a half a percent per year adjusted for inflation. They're going nowhere. Countries that have a trade surplus are not necessarily stronger. If we use that trade deficit to buy machinery, which raises our productivity, to buy products we can't otherwise get, this is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Well, there are a but couple Mr. of problems. Yeah. There are a couple of problems beyond the fact uh, in dealing with China. Let's just talk about China oh, rather yeah. than the, yeah. the trade deficit per se. Uh, one is that I think that there's no doubt that they are doing a lot of intellectual property sure. theft. Yeah, that's unacceptable. Mm -hmm. There's simply no rule of law beyond theft, which is going in and hacking computers and taking out plans, when you want to invest there, they're requiring you, they're making you an offer you cannot refuse. They're saying if you want to invest in our country, you will take a 50% partner with our local people. And of course, who are the local people? They're, they're politically connected exactly. people. I'm surprised that Chicago aldermen aren't mm. involved. The, uh, and they steal the technology. And they steal the that, technology. Yeah, right. Uh, so this is a problem. And, this, and the uh, final problem is that they are increasingly understood, and rightly so, as a military adversary. And so to the extent that they are bulking up mm -hmm. on the highest technologies, which have dual use, that is, they can be put to military uses, we have a problem with them. Yeah, there's no doubt we have a problem with, with China. It's just that you don't want to focus on the size of the trade deficit as the key indicator, and that's what the that's president right. does. Jennifer, do you believe that the president has done a good job explaining to his base what the trade war with China is all about? Uh, no, not really, to be honest, because he predicates his arguments on things that are easy to understand um, on the surface, like mm -hmm. uh, we're being taken advantage of, um, the, there's trade inequities, mm -hmm. we're getting screwed, they're stealing, they're ripping us off. And all of that sounds really good, and it's easy to embrace. Um, and someone who uh, wants to give Trump the benefit of the doubt will grab onto that. But I don't think that um, Trump explains very well what, um, he say? what is at stake. Well, I really what like the explanation.
information you gave, but you're not exactly, (laughs) your argument isn't something I think that Trump would embrace. But I think the idea of pointing out what a trade inequity is, it's not necessarily deficits, but what our relationship with China is, how they put their thumb on the scale, how they support regimes Mm -hmm. that are against us, Mm -hmm. how they do things um, that they rip us off and how they rip us off. I think that those things are really missing. Do you think the president understands the intricacy of the trade war. Well, I think he does because of everything. It doesn't seem like that when you hear him talk, but with all the work that this man has done, I and his he has a I mean business he's, he graduated from a Wharton School of Business. He's a smart yeah. man. And I do think that he understands. And I think that Steve Mnuchin and other people around mm-hmm. him understand this. Okay. Very well. The reason the reason I ask is that, you know, the the question in the last 48 hours is does does he really understand what a category 5 hurricane is right now he's experienced uh, category five hurricanes he has said that they're very important to him but does he really understand he said he didn't quite know what one was and yet he's experienced five of them so i'm wondering if the complexity of weather with him not knowing it or not having aides who are explaining it to him if that's happening when it comes to hurricanes, could the same thing be happening yeah. when it comes to trade? He just, he thinks he knows more than he does. Professor? Yeah, it, I think there's some of that. He, the man who has his ears, a guy named Peter Navarro, who was pro-trade way back when, and then all of a sudden he became uh, a protectionist about 25, 20 years ago. It, what's interesting about Trump, and I admire him for this, <clears throat> He's willing to have people on his staff with whom he disagrees. Larry Kudlow, whom I I respect very much, both as a person as well as an economist, is very pro-trade and and, and not a big fan of this tariff, and he hasn't fired him yet. And he did try to appoint Stephen Moore, who is a very strong pro-trader. So Trump is willing to, to, in other words, deal with some people who understand trade better than he does. But this has been an issue for Mr. Trump, as I understand it, for at least 20 years, he has felt that the United States has been unfairly treated. If he would focus, like you say, Jennifer, he would focus on that mm-hmm. instead of this number of the trade deficit, right. I think he would get a lot more traction. And when I've talked to my colleagues, uh, all of my colleagues and I, from both left and right, agree that tariffs are a dumb thing to do unilaterally the way we're doing it. Uh, they're a dumb thing in general. But he's doing this for political reasons, and he could get political hay out of this if he would explain that there's no way to get the Chinese to behave properly unless we beat them around, you know, box their ears in, and that's what my tariffs are going to do. But you don't think he's made that case, at least he's used that when he's talked about the farmers, because he makes the case that, you know, a lot of the farmers are his friends. Yes. They seem to understand that at the moment it may not look good for them. That's correct. But for the good of the country, we need this fight. It's long overdue. I'm going to have the fight. And the farmers aren't necessarily going to love it at the moment. Yeah, But, I but just, again, let's provide them I with just, some money, which which he wants to do to, right. to keep them afloat. I just wish he was a little more straightforward with the American people. We are paying for part of this tariff. It is not the Chinese thing. It is a war of attrition. Right, absolutely. And and you win a war of attrition by convincing the other side you can hold out longer. Right. And the problem with selling it straight is that the costs would become more apparent. I think that the biggest issue now 
is not the one facing Donald Trump, but the one facing President Xi. Mm. President Xi is suffering not only in the short term with a lower economy, and you can see they're not able anymore to match us one for one with raising tariffs. They're oh, no. mat- we're going five to one against them, and that shows that they simply can't do it. But what the longer this lasts, the more American corporations move their supply chains That's out of right. China. And what President Xi has to decide is whether or not he can uh, run a stable regime if the world begins to back out of China. That's what the real threat is. He has to make a decision. Right. What, can exactly the pre- right. what can the president say or do to these companies? He can't he order can't, them, no. and he shouldn't. Um, have, and he shouldn't order. And that them. was you a don't dumb want to thing order that say. was terrible. Yeah. But what uh, yeah. what, no. what can he do? There's nothing he can do. He does have uh, some administrative power over tariffs, and he's using that as a very blunt tool. And he is saying, and he, he is using the power of the purse to assist the soybean farmers. He's he, in some sense, is really hurting them with the tariff, but then he's giving them aid so that they don't yeah. starve. And I guess, you know, one thing, if we're going to have a policy like that, if, if some of our fellow Americans are hurt, they should be, you know, taken care of. We're not all facing the same kind of problem. I just wish he would, again, I, I wish he would focus somewhat on the political side instead of, I, he should say, this is not economically a smart thing. Is there thing. anyone on the, on the left side uh, who you want to give a prop to. We're going to give you a chance to think about it, and then we'll be back with more discussion. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away. Hi, I'm Ryan Sandberg, and I want to tell you about Miracle, the musical, inspired by the 2016 champion Chicago Cubs. It's one of the best productions I have ever seen. Now playing at the Royal George Theater. Do not miss it. Millions estimate their benefits online, so they can do what they want offline. Social Security. Securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Today, millions of people all across America are building a life in recovery from addiction and mental illness. Helping themselves. And helping each other. With friends, family, and community lending their strength and support. Join the Voices for Recovery. Together, we are stronger. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral for mental and substance use disorders, for you or someone you know, call 1-800-662-HELP. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Football season starts next week. Don't forget it. And football season, at least college football, has already begun. Uh, Before we go too much further, I want to mention that uh, a member of our staff, uh, Brita uh, Hunnigs, is leaving us this evening. She's been an intern for the past summer, and uh, she is at DePaul University. She's done a great job helping us with screening calls, a lot of other things. So, Brita, Brita, I screwed up her name every week. Brita with a long E. Brita, we thank you very much. She's going to the news business. And also, before I go off the air and forget uh, uh, to thank Andrew Marshall, uh, he is our engineer, and he did the uh, nice uh, video piece uh, tribute uh, to Michael Bauer earlier in our first hour. So we thank Andrew for his uh, great work. And of course, uh, the old professor, the old professor, Fritz Goldman, is here each and every Sunday night. He's locked to a chair. We don't let him go. He cannot go. We feed him water once a week and bread. That's it. That's what uh, let's go to Brian. Brian is also, he's part of our team. He calls so often. Brian, nice to have you with us. 
good evening. It's good. You're, now, you're listening to us on this video stream, correct? Uh, yeah, you do. And uh, the point I wanted to make was, I think Charles touched on it earlier, that the American taxpayer spends hundreds of billions of dollars on the military to stand up to communist China. And I believe those costs should be covered by tariffs on products sourced from communist China. I mean, we can encourage global corporations to move their plants to, say, Central America, where there's all these people that can't make a living and don't have any jobs. You know, this idea where we just let everybody run to China and bring everything back duty-free is idiotic. The Chinese, like you said before, are very bad actors. So it's only fair. That's my point. All right, uh, Professor Well, there's Miller. one thing. Uh, um, tariff is essentially a tax. And depending upon how that tax is distributed in terms of how much is absorbed by the producer within the U.S., how much is absorbed in the currency uh, devaluation with China and so forth, the tariff is essentially paid by the consumer. So that would be mean that that would mean that they, this tariff may be on the Chinese, but you and I will actually be paying the tax. So we would be paying for the military anyhow. Uh, using the tariffs as a tool like this, I just it, we economists have it, we don't gain by it. We want to get we want to have you want you want to be able to get the world's products from people who can produce them more cheaply than anybody else. This is a very important point. But I want to agree with the basic thrust of what the caller is saying about sharing costs with others who benefit. Oh, sure. And one of the things that Trump really should get credit for is getting more money out of Europe, mm -hmm. more money out of South Korea, more money out of Japan for common defense efforts. The reason we couldn't get it before is a fairly straightforward problem that people in my field, international politics, have dealt with for four decades, which is the United States gets so much benefit out of being the leader of the system that it couldn't threaten to pull back. And, no, and the other countries, knowing that we couldn't pull back, could simply say, look, we're going to free ride on you. Mm -hmm. Trump, for better or for worse, has said we're not getting enough out of all of these deals, and if you're not going to pay up, we are going to pull back. And he made that threat credible, and because it was threatable, you, uh, Europeans have paid an extra $200 billion to NATO. You can see China and, and South Korea paying up, and that's very important. What about to Brian's idea that, that are there industries that could be created and nurtured uh, by American business in Central America as part of an effort to provide greater economic opportunities in Central America to keep Central Americans in Central America as opposed to rushing towards our border and some of that business would be pulled away from China. Is there a realistic, that, that oh, sounds like a simple answer, but it, is it, there anything truthful to but that? But one thing that a, a firm has to be able to assure itself of is that it's going to have a labor force or a workforce that can do the work that needs to be done. And I would assume that they believe that China will provide them that workforce and that the people in the the uh, uh, Central America will not. There's also the question of corruption. There's one thing, I mean, it is, it's a communist nation, but it is, I mean, it's under, it's under strict rule of communism. 
you don't know exactly what you're going to get if you go into the uh, into the Central America. So if you don't have a reliable workforce and you can't necessarily depend upon stability within the country and its politics uh, that you're going into, firms are going to well, stay away. Well, let me away. ask you a question, Mike. Uh, given that firms have to be rethinking their international supply chains, mm-hmm. given yes. what's going on, where are they thinking they will relocate? I've heard some talk that, the, that uh, Vietnam is in play. Uh, Taiwan will continue to be in play, South Korea. But in terms of some poor countries, you could maybe go into poorer countries. Would be You can go into India. You can go into Bangladesh. There's a whole bunch of places where you have people. You just have to make sure, though, that you How have that stability. How long does it take to It do takes this? a while because you have to not only set up the, the contact within the country, then you would have to have what is called direct investment. You actually build the factory. That takes time. And then you've got to have the transportation necessary to get the things from where they are to where you want them to be. And that takes deep water harbors. It takes a, a whole infrastructure to get that done. I think so, Trump is playing the long game here, though. Yeah, and I think I he think is trying to play a long would, game. Uh, want that to happen. Yep. But we should say, you did not vote for him in 2016. You went independent. I did, but I, I cannot see a single Democrat I would vote for. I will vote for Mr. Trump unless uh, lightning strikes. Yeah. Okay, well, make you happy. happy. Uh, right. Put one on Start your getting, list. You made one, check one, on. one, one pickup. <laughs> uh, again, Mike Miller, thank you very sure. much from DePaul University. Uh, Stephanie, uh, Stephanie, not Stephanie, Jennifer Nevins, thank you very much for being with us. The original Trumpster. Never, you're, they're never going to lose that title. No. And, of course, uh, Charles Lipsom from the University of Chicago, we thank you very much for being with us as well. We hope you enjoyed the broadcast. And, again, uh, again, we thank you very much for any cards or points that or messages that you've sent to us. I know a number of them come in uh, based on our report and our memorial tribute uh, to the late Michael Bauer. Thank you very much. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago. I'm Ryan Sandberg, and I want to tell you about Miracle, the musical, inspired by the 2016 champion Chicago Cubs. It's one of the best productions I have ever seen. Now playing at the Royal George Theater. Do not miss it. Millions estimate their benefits online so they can do what they want offline. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, We're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education. DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving that a disability is not a limitation. My victory was getting my service dog a new best friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, We all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org.